All right, well, good morning, folks. I'm a little bit late here, but we'll get started. Uh, let me open in a word of prayer, and we can get started on our new lesson in this new year here. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we approach you now, Father, we approach you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and his shed blood, and even by your Spirit. Father, even as we um, uh, enter into a new year now, Father, we just want to thank you and praise you for the life that you have given us, even through Jesus Christ, our Lord, even the prospect of a new year, Father, uh, even a new Sunday school class, uh, even the chance to gather together on this Lord's Day to worship you, our living triune God. Father, we thank you for all these things. Just pray that you'd attend us now by your Spirit. Uh, help us to grow even in this topic of discipleship, Father. Help us to grow in our ability to be discipled and to disciple. I just pray that the church could be built up even now before we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so many of you folks will remember uh, last fall and into the winter, up leading up to the Christmas season, we covered uh, the topic of living as a church. Living as a church. So in that class, we covered topics like unity, membership, diversity, preaching and prayer, governance, church fellowship, discontentment within the church, church leadership, church discipline, encouragement, serving and giving, corporate worship, and evangelism. Those were the 13 classes that we covered in living as a church. So in that class, just by way of just a bit of a recap, we saw how God in his manifold wisdom has chosen to save people from all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, all different uh, tribes and tongues and nations, all different demographics, different hobbies, different interests. God has chosen to save people from all these different backgrounds, and he has united us, all these different people, through the common salvation that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we saw how through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. So think about that, that, that historic dividing wall of hostility that was between Jew and Gentile in particular. Two people groups that historically have hated each other. That dividing wall has been torn down by the power of the gospel. And this is all so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 3 verse 10. So that verse there was sort of one of our main verses for that class, living as a church. So living as a church then, our, our last class, it sort of provided a big picture view of church life. That's what we sort of went through there in last class. Now, as we begin a new year, I thought it would be fitting to cover this class now called Discipleship. I think the two classes will mesh quite well. Discipleship now is really zeroing in particularly on one-to-one -one discipleship. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and trusting 
the Lord that this class will be fruitful for us off of the back of living as a church. So when I say the word disciple, that word is going to bring many, many different things to mind perhaps. So I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, what does the word disciple bring to mind for you? Let's just get a couple, couple comments here. Henry? Learner? Yep. Follower? Disciplined but not punished. Yeah, yeah. The word disciple is very. It's it's derived from the root word discipline, isn't it? It's in there. So, yeah, those are good. So, uh, what we're going to see here this morning is most essentially in the Bible, a disciple is presented as someone who follows after the life and teaching of another person. So, a disciple is someone who follows after the life and teaching of another person. Now, as we consider our Lord Jesus Christ, he gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. And of course, in that Great Commission, we have the command to make disciples. So that's a, that's a command for the entire church to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So if you've got a handout there, uh, first point then, as we move into the, into the, the body of this lesson is what is a disciple? What is a disciple? So we're going to consider biblically what are some marks of a disciple. Um, as soon as you hear that word, you might think of uh, the 12 disciples of Christ, right? I think that, that is helpful. Jesus in his ministry, he called out 12 men and they were called his disciples. Now, however, I think there's, there's an important distinction that needs to be made when we consider the 12 disciples. They also had apostolic authority, right? So the disciples, the 12 disciples of Christ were actually given a, a authority in a sense that actually uh, every believer actually does not have, contrary to the belief of some in our day. Um, so, so, so when we look at the 12 disciples of Christ, it's helpful to see something of what a disciple is, but then it's also important, I think, to remember the distinction between the apostles and a disciple of Christ in our day. So in other words, we can't rightly call ourselves, I can't rightly call, call myself an apostle, neither can any of you. So what are some general marks of a disciple then? Well, we see some there. First of all, response to God's initiating call and you can see some verses there. Are, are there verses in the handout there? I, I didn't get a handout this morning. You got verses? So, so follow up those with those later, if you can. Response to God's initiating call. Second, a desire to know what God says. A break from the world's standards. Self-discipline. Teresa had mentioned that. A desire for fellowship and encouragement with other disciples a passion for evangelism, and perseverance. We could even say perseverance in the faith. So a, tr a true disciple perseveres to the end then. That's what we see biblically speaking. So we're not going to spend a lot of time here. Those are just some general sort of uh, marks or character traits of a disciple. Um, but these are, these are things that we want to be encouraging one another towards 
as we consider this class. So let's move on to point two, the larger context for discipling. The larger context for discipling is the local church. This is an important point. As we're working towards a, a, a working definition for discipling, we need to understand this within the context of the local church. Now, it's hard to find, you're not going to find a chapter and verse that says, this is what discipling is, or this is what discipleship is. Rather, what we find in the Bible is this common theme of discipleship throughout the entire canon of Scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament, all the way through. So in the Old Testament, for example, a very common thing that we see is the, 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 the God's people, after they're brought out of Egypt into the Promised Land, they're constantly to be reminding one another of the Lord's faithfulness, His covenant faithfulness towards them, and even reminding them of the Exodus. So the Exodus is sort of a paradigmatic event in the life of God's people in the Old Testament. And you see the call to faithfulness very often pointing back to God's rescue of his people out of Egypt. In the New Testament, we see the disciple-making process begin actually before Christ with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is sent before the Messiah to call people to repentance. We see discipleship in Christ's work, of course, as he calls out and trains his initial people, um, his initial followers, even, as I said, his disciples, his own disciples, his apostles. We see it in the church uh, in the book of Acts as uh, the church is birthed, and then, of course, the command to go and make disciples is really fleshed out initially in the book of Acts. We see it in the epistles as the church grows in our understanding of the disciple-making process, both for the whole church and as for individuals. So you can see from cover to cover of the scriptures, we have sort of this theme of discipleship running all the way through. So as we talk about discipling them, we need to define the scope of what we have in mind, what I have in mind for this class in particular we're mostly going to be talking about, over the next uh, number of weeks, um, sort of this relational discipleship of even one-to-one -one discipleship, or maybe a small group of people. That's sort of what I'm going to be zeroing in on in this class. So you relating to another person, or maybe another couple people, uh, with the aim to do them good spiritually. That's what we're going to be zeroing in on in this class. But that, of course, is not the whole of the disciple-making disciple process. Um, we, we need to keep in mind, we need to remember that, that discipleship happens when the, within the context uh, of the local church. So we, what we do together as a church, I would say even particularly in our public worship service, is discipleship. We have to call that discipleship. So discipling is what happens when Pastor Gavin um, steps into the pulpit later on and preaches God's word to us. Discipleship is what happens when we gather around the Lord's table as well, as I'm going to be leading the service here in uh, about an hour. 
Discipleship is what happens when we sing songs together, when we're led to sing praises to God. Discipleship is what happens when we read scripture together. It happens in the weekly opportunities when we get to meet together, fellowship together, serve together. So you can see discipleship is a very broad category then. Um, And it happens within the context of the local church primarily. Again, this is just a very important thing to wrap our minds around. So helpful illustration, the church body is the greenhouse of God that he himself has constructed to grow and cultivate disciples of Christ to the glory of God the Father. So what we're talking about in this class then, one-to-one discipling, is one of the tools then in God's greenhouse, as it were. Think about the church as, as God's greenhouse. And, and again, this is an important point because in our day, um, some folks will think that the church actually isn't all that important. Oh, I'm good to go. I've got my relationship with Jesus. Do I go to church? Uh, not, not really. Maybe sometimes. The church is fundamental to the life of the believer and even to discipleship. But then, like I said, we're going to zero in more particularly on one-to-one discipleship in this class. So every believer then, this is important, every believer is called to the work of discipling. Um, Only a few will be called upon to preach. Only a few will be called upon to lead the public worship service or maybe even to teach large groups like a Bible study or something like that, maybe Sunday school. However, it is the contention of this class that every Christian is called by God to contribute to the disciple-making work of the church through deliberate, mutually encouraging relationships. That's sort of a theme statement of this class. Okay, well, let's move on then. That's the larger context for discipling the local church. Number three, what is discipling then? What is discipling? Considering then what is one-on-one discipleship, what does that look like? Well, based on the synthesis of biblical truth that I've sort of just gone over, one way we could define discipling is like this. The intentional encouragement of Christians on the basis of deliberate, loving relationships and training in God's word. I think you probably have that definition in your handout. Is that right? So you can see it there. So let's zero in on some of the key words then. It would be helpful to focus on. Discipling is intentional and deliberate. It is not something that just happens. It is the result of purposeful initiative on the part of other Christians. So if you, if you picture someone walking down the sidewalk and slipping on a banana peel, right, that's not how discipleship works. You don't, you don't just accidentally fall into it. Discipleship is deliberate and intentional. Uh, second, discipleship involves encouragement. So Christians, as Christians, we need encouragement in order to be faithful and to persevere in the faith. As I've said before, and this, it's a beautiful thing, the Christian life is not a lone ranger enterprise. You have not been called to fight the faith, to walk the fight of faith alone. We're to stand shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Uh, discipling is focused on making followers of Jesus, that is, Christians. So in other words, biblical discipleship is not just general moral reformation. That's not what we're after. We're not after merely sort of external behavior modification. Discipleship is about heart change and then that being fleshed out in, in our lives. Discipleship is ultimately rooted in the Word of God, so not just our good advice. This is really, this should be encouraging for us too because if you feel like you're not, you don't feel like you have much to offer, well, I got good news. Your, your basis for your discipleship is the Word of God. It's not your own smarts or abilities. Discipleship is loving. So to care for someone's soul is, um, it is the way of love. Finally, discipleship or discipling is relational. So it involves, in other words, more than just merely watching a lesson up on a big screen or something like that, right? Um, it's relational. It involves humans sharing our lives with one another. Um, so to further unpack this now, I'm just going to basically, the rest of the lesson is just sort of highlighting some of these key words that I've just gone over briefly. So first, biblical discipling is intentional and deliberate. So these are words that we're going to hear a lot about in this class. So as I said before, we need to understand that making disciples is not something that just accidentally happens. It is the result of Christians responding in obedience to God's commands. So, and this is important too, to consider the command of the Great Commission, for example, this, isn't, this hasn't been dreamed up by Christians or even by church leaders. This is God's idea, right? This isn't some type of strategy that human beings have developed. This is at the core of the work that Jesus gave his redeemed people, the church, to do as he prepared to return to the Father's right hand. So many of you guys are very familiar with this passage, but let's just consider it a little bit. Jesus came and said to them, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that, that, that primary imperative, that primary command, I think is often maybe overlooked or not um, thought about. So, so when we can consider even, let's consider the missionary enterprise of getting the gospel out, even within the church, of preaching the gospel, it's not actually merely evangelism that we've been called to. We've been called to make disciples. I would say historically, if you were to look at, at the missionary enterprise for the past couple of generations, that would be one of the big, um, I wouldn't want to say a mistake, but there, there's been some just short-sightedness and shortcomings in the missionary enterprise in the past couple of generations where it's viewed merely as getting the gospel out, getting people converted, and then moving on. And people are not disciples. So make disciples involves more work 
than merely evangelizing. So this is what, part, again, part of what we are all called as Christians to do, to give ourselves intentionally and deliberately to relationships with others in order to help one another mature as followers of Christ. So again, this is not just the work of super-duper Christians or super-spiritual Christians or people that you might perceive to be super-duper Christians. Um, throughout the Bible, we see that all of God's people are called to do this. So let's just consider a verse then, Hebrews 10, 24. Again, many of you are going to be familiar with this. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So notice then, just a couple simple observations. That verse uh, includes the words us and one another. So we see this stirring up throughout the scriptures as a normative work of God's people, not merely just the work of a few paid professionals or something like that. So just consider the, the other word, I just used it, consider. <laughs> the word consider, that actually involves thinking, right? It involves strategizing. It involves sitting down and deliberately thinking about how we can stir one another up. So again, it, do, it doesn't just happen accidentally, right? It involves careful thought and action. Uh, so I could go on on this, uh, this topic. Uh, there's probably more to be said, but we can see for now, to be faithful to the call to make disciples, we are called to jump into the work intentionally and deliberately. Second, uh, biblical discipling is relational. It's relational, and we see this, again, throughout the scriptures. So we see a God who is not merely revealed in the scriptures, but also a God who is relational. So in other words, the Bible does not, is not just conveying a bunch of information to us. The Bible is, is revealing to us a God who is relational to the very core of his being. And this is the beautiful thing about the triune nature of God, right? God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, going all the way back into eternity past, the triune God has always enjoyed perfect fellowship in the Father, Son, and Spirit. He's a relational God to his very core. This is why the scriptures tell us that God is love. God is love, not fundamentally and primarily because he loves us, but because there is, there is a perfect love within the Godhead. So what we see then, that every, at every turn, God is moving intentionally and deliberately towards us in establishing relationships with his people. So consider the appearance of the law in the Exodus to the promise of God with us in Isaiah, Emmanuel. We just celebrated that at Christmas, right? Uh, to the appearance of the inc incarnate Christ in the Gospels. And then, and then moving ahead to the book of Revelation, what we're moving towards and the great hope of the believer is face-to-face -face, um, relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the picture that we see in the book of Revelation. 
So in other words, from start to finish in the scriptures, think about biblical theology, right? Progressive revelation of God's redemptive history. There's actually an increasing movement towards more and more relational capacity with the living God. It's an incredible thing to consider. Um, just consider some of the words that are described in the Bible as far as the assembly of God's people. The ecclesia, the church, it's an assembly, a household, a body, a building, a building that's being built up and we're the living stones all being built together. So what we see here in these terms is the interrelation and integrated working of distinct parts. That's what you see there. So again, the simple transfer of information is not sufficient. The church is called to relate to one another in order to add a distinct relational aspect to everything that she does, even in regards to one-to-one discipleship. So just as many other things in the life of the church, then one-on-one discipleship is to take place in the context of loving, encouraging, Christ-centered relationships. This is a beautiful thing because as, as human beings created in God's image, again, we are relational to the core because God is relational to the core. So biblical discipling is relational. Third, biblical discipling is loving. In other words, intentional relational discipling is not cold and utilitarian. It's not merely just, it it doesn't merely just have some type of objective in mind that needs to be sort of worked towards um, no matter the cost. We're called to deliberately pour out our lives for the spiritual good of others, just as Christ poured out his life for our eternal good. So again, it's patterned after the life of Christ our Savior. So obviously it's important to consider when we consider the work of Christ, there are certain things that are are, are unique to the work of Christ, right? When Christ laid down his life for us, he bore our sins in his body on the tree as, as a perfect sinless substitute. So when we're called to lay down our lives for one another, to love one another, obviously we're not called to make atonement for one another. That's unique to the work of Christ. But even as, as um, fallen and redeemed sinners, Christ still gives us the picture of what perfect love looks like. So he poured out his life for the spiritual good of others. Just consider this verse, uh, 1 John 3.16. So not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So there you see, Christ is an example to us too, believe it or not. He's an example to us as well. Um, so when, when he went to the cross, he died in our place. But just think about this, he also used his time and energy to pour himself into the lives of his disciples so that then they could also disciple, right? Jesus Christ lived for 33 years before he went to the cross, and we get a glimpse of that 
even in his ministry years, right? The three years leading up to the cross. He was, he was committed to pouring his life out for the good of his people, even intentionally and deliberately for the 12 that he chose so that then they could spread out and disciple others. So that's the model for us then. We're not to make atonement for one another, but we are to pour our lives out um, for the good of one another. So we should picture that love in our small ways then by laying down our lives for others with the goal of glorifying God and doing them good. Obviously, it's important to remember that we are limited and finite creatures. We're not the omnipotent God, right? So we're, we're, I hope you don't hear me saying that we all need to be, you know, we're, we're not called to be one another's savior, right? And even discipleship is gonna have to happen, obviously, in, in, in our limited capacities. But the point is, is Christ is our model in that sense of pouring down his life, uh, pour, pouring out his life for the good of his, his people. Uh, fourth, biblical discipling involves training in God's word. This is just a really important point as well. So there's training involved. You think about a sport, if you're an athlete here, right? You think about the training, the practicing that is involved for your craft, or even um, if you're a musician, you're an artist, whatever it might be, there's training involved. There's blood, sweat, and tears involved. Um, so this training then has both content to con- convey and application to make. And yet this training cannot be in just anything. So many of you folks have maybe heard the, the phrase, uh, what we um, win people with is what we win people to. You've folks heard that? What we win people with is what we win people to. So, and the point is, is we're training in God's word. This is not just another sort of help, self-help scheme to try to help people out based on sort of your own ingenuity and smarts. What we, train, what we win people with is what we win them to. We want to win people and disciple people with the word of God. It's God's word that brings life and not even ultimately the disciples' sage advice. Obviously, a, a, a disciple, a mature believer, should have sage advice to give, but it's actually not ultimately um, reliant upon your sage advice. So again, this should be encouraging. If you feel like you're incapable of discipling, well, no, no, that's not true. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Word of God. As Pastor Clint has said many a time, if you've been a believer for three years, you can disciple a believe, someone who's been a believer for two years. All you have to know is th- this much more than they do. And you actually have something to share. And ultimately, we have the word of God to be able to disciple one another. And it is sufficient. Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So our confidence is not in ourselves, but in the sufficient word of God. It's a beautiful thing. 
In its simplest form, then, disciple-making is pointing one another to God's Word. That's what it is. As disciples, we work hard not to cultivate a dependence on ourselves. Rather, we, we train Christians to consistently turn to the Scripture. So if your discipleship looks like a person becoming very dependent and reliant upon you, and if they start to... Um, sink, as it were, if, if there's a bit of distance there, well, there's a problem there, right? The people that we're discipling, we want them to be able to swim on their own, as it were, as they, as they grow in their confidence in the word of God and the sufficiency of his grace. Uh, fifth, biblical discipling is, is being a pipeline. So there's a bit of an illustration here. There's an image here of a conduit, the, the, the believer being a conduit for pouring spiritual blessings into the life of another person. So if you think about a pipeline, a pipeline is used to transport a liquid or a fluid or, or something else, a gas from point A to point B, right? If you think about the pipe, um, the pipe actually doesn't have too much to boast about, does it? It's, it, at the end of the day, it's just a tool. I mean, as a plumber, I've, I've installed many a pipe in my day. It's just, it's just a tool to convey stuff, right? So we actually don't have too much to boast in, in and of ourselves, right? If you've been discipling someone, you're seeing them grow, you're seeing them mature, that should be um, encouraging. But don't think that you're so awesome because that person is growing, right? You're conveying the grace of God to them. And God is using you in that way, praise God. It is a privilege, but we don't, there's nothing to boast about there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, Galatians 6, 14 would be verses to look at in that regard. And we have nothing to boast of in and of ourselves. So the work of a pipe is simply to be in the right place, channeling God's truth to others. So just a question by way of application then, are you being that pipeline? Are you being that pipeline? We like, we like pipelines in Alberta, right? So are you being that pipeline even in that spiritual sense for the good of God's people, even for your own growth, for your own joy? Uh, last point, discipleship is a process, not a program. It's a process, not a program. Again, in our day, modern evangelicalism, a lot of preg- uh, um, pragmatic, uh, a, lot, a lot of pragmatism in the past couple of generations, just the way that things have been developed, different sort of programs and so on. It's very easy to think of discipleship just sort of being this, this sort of um, uh, paradigm that you just are going to sort of channel people through. And then this product is going to be sort of spat out at the end of that process. Well, no, it's, it's or, or, or that program, rather. Again, it, because it's relational, because it's, it can be messy, right? We're, you know, we're, we're, we're sinful people. Um, it's not merely a program. It's a process of becoming like Christ. So just a couple things to, just to flesh it out what this could look like. It may mean reading a good Christian book and discussing it. 
with a brother or sister in Christ. It may mean going through the book, uh, a book of the Bible together. Uh, it may mean sitting down and going over this, uh, your, the, the adult Sunday school class and discussing it over lunch. It may mean sharing insights from the weekly sermon over coffee. Uh, it may mean bringing your kids over to play at another mom's house and intentionally um, seeking to grow as parents, as a mom or a dad, in a biblical way. It may mean inviting um, an unmarried man or woman over to your home if, if you have children and you're going to invite them over for dinner and you, you, you're just going to let them see your, a little bit of your life and uh, be open to answer questions. So you can see that it's very wide open, right? It's a, it, it's a beautifully simple thing, but it's very wide open as well, right? You are free to, um, to get together and enjoy fellowship and, and enjoy discipling one another. So the key then is, again, whatever you do should be rooted in the truth of Scripture, and presented on the basis of an intentional, loving relationship. So this is discipleship in a nutshell. I'm just going to conclude here, and I think we may actually have time for questions, which is amazing. Um, so as we move forward in this class, we're going to consider a lot of the specifics of what discipling looks like. So for example, we actually will go through, you know, what does it look like to discuss a good book with someone? Or how... How can I study the Bible with another believer? We're going to look at topics like that. By way of review, we've seen discipling is intentional and deliberate. Discipling is relational. Discipling is loving. And discipling involves training in God's word. So I just encourage all of you here to begin thinking about how you can grow in your own discipleship. Many of you are already doing this but all of us can be growing in it. And, and, and if you don't have that happening in your life, I would just pray to the Lord to, to um, help you to dive into it and even perhaps ask someone else if they might be willing to disciple you. So I'm gonna give, we've actually got a few minutes here for questions. Does anyone have any questions? Usually I teach too long and then there's no room for questions. So, Rini? Yeah, that's a great question. So, sh so should discipleship um, uh, happen within the context of discipling other believers within your local church, or should you be, you know, can you have these relationships with other Christians, part of other churches? I think that's a great question. <coughs> Excuse me. I would say you want to prioritize relationships within the church for sure. Part of gospel partnership um, is we're covenanting together with the brothers and sisters in this local congregation, right? Having said that, it's not, gonna, it's not wrong or sinful to be p discipling somebody else. Uh, I mean, very often what we have in our day is you do have folks 
that are going to maybe not so healthy churches, and they actually very often are starving sheep, and they might not even recognize that, right? So I mean, like, I, I think a lot of what we've seen even in recent years here at Calvary Grace is there are folks discipling Christians that are outside of the church, but very often that can even be sort of a means to, and it's not that we're trying to sheep steal or anything like that, but if a person is going to a not so good church, maybe they do need to be plugging into a healthier church and even discipling could be um, uh, a means to that end as well, right? So I, I think simple answer, you want to prioritize relationships within the church. Um, so, so put it this way, if you're discipling, you know, three or four other people outside of the church and nobody in the church, then you've got you to gotta look at your priorities there. But I think there's room for that. Michael? Yeah, so comment on, on men and women discipleship. So do you mean, so, so one example you gave was within the concept of the family, a mom and a son, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, obviously very legit. I, I think that's great. <coughs> Excuse me. I would say, yeah, so that's an important point. Obviously, um, in regards to uh, men and women, again, you're going to want to prioritize discipling someone of the same gender, right? Um, we live in a culture where, I mean, you, you watch the cell phone ads, right? And it's a big beach party constantly with, you know, the guys and the gals and everybody else. And, um, and there's no real proper boundaries very often between guys and gals, right? Um, so I, I would say, generally speaking, it's, it's going to be uh, men discipling men, men discipling boys, uh, women discipling women, women discipling uh, girls and young ladies. Um, yeah, if you've got questions about that, definitely come chat with me. But does that make sense? Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, is discipling geared towards believers? Yeah, yeah. So if a person isn't a believer, then that would be technically what you're, you're in the realm of evangelism at that point, right? Because you want that person to be saved, and then once they are saved, now they need to be discipled. Yeah, so a disciple is a Christian. Yeah. I mean, you could say, that, I mean, the term disciple is just a noun, right? You know, a person could be a disciple of um, Elon Musk, right? Because they, they, they're, they're learning from him and wanting to be like him, right? Trump, yeah, a Trump disciple. So, but we want to be, we're, we're, Christians are disciples of Christ, yes, and they are, they are believers. We're at time now. I'm, gonna, I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, as always, got any questions, feel free to come, come chat, and we'll prepare for the main service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful thing you have called us to as believers. You have saved us. We have been reconciled to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now we have been called to make disciples and even to be discipled. Father, we have not been called just to sit back passively, uh, um, but to grow as disciples intentionally, deliberately, encouraging one another, 
with the word of God. Father, this is happening in many ways in this church, and we praise you for this. But nonetheless, Father, we want to continue to grow in this. And just pray that even out of this class, uh, new discipleship relationships could be born that would be fruitful for the kingdom, for uh, the building up of the body, and for your glory. Uh, Please prepare us now as we uh, prepare to worship you, the living God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.